Welcome to Life Quest Liberty, live in-depth conversations with today's top writers, editors, and spiritual leaders concerning religious freedom around the world. On today's broadcast, we'll examine local and international factors that may be impacting your right to worship and obey God as your conscience dictates. I'm your Life Quest Liberty host, Charles Mills. Time and time again on this program, Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine, and our various guests have made a statement that needs to be repeated. Religious freedom is fragile and can easily be lost. Let's talk about some of the areas today where that loss might occur. Lincoln, same-sex marriage. Several more states have come on board to legalize the union of two people who share similar chromosomes. What are your thoughts on this, and what does it have to do with religious freedom? Well, it has a lot to do with religious freedom. If, if people of religious sensibility try to uh, stop hmm. behavior just because they don't like it. Well, interesting. <laughs> okay, you're putting, okay, you're coming at it from a different direction here. I okay. always try to be a contrarian. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, that, that's the simple part. We need to remember uh, that religious liberty is freedom to believe whatever you, you want mm-hmm. and to disbelieve everything you, you want to. It's, it's, it's to not force the conscience on any issue. And you don't have to agree with what you allow, is what you're saying. Well, and that's where it most proves the point. Yeah, yeah, okay. I mean, everybody can allow a religion or some activity that's mildly, uh, uh, you know, that they don't like in a mild way. Yeah. But the stuff that makes them sick to their stomach, yeah. if they allow that, then you know that they're granting a right to another person that they would want for themselves, probably, because uh, you must remember on religion, everybody's religion is offensive to somebody else. (laughs) Yes, that's true. Uh, I mean, I can make that blanket statement safely. I know that's true. We need to get rid of uh, or to deal with that right up front when you're talking about Mm same-sex marriage. Obviously, Bible-based Christians and uh, Muslims, for that matter, reading the Quran, find the societal move toward gay marriage troubling. Let's just put it that way. Yes. Because it's, it's antithetical to the plainest words of Scripture. Mm-hmm. Many Christians have not only come to grips with it, but may even be uh, encouraging it or allowing it in their churches, but they do so by ignoring the Bible. I, I sat down uh, at a... Uh, Roman Catholic uh, Religious Liberty Conference recently at a table with some Catholics and some uh, uh, Lutherans, and we talked about this, and I found very quickly they were very pro-gay, and when I quoted some of the Old and New Testament texts on it, they dismissed it, saying, oh, they're the assumptions of another era, we, you know, we need to get past that. This is Catholic so, and Lutheran, you say? Yes. Okay, all right. So, so uh, my point is, you, as, a, as a Bible-reading and believing person, mm-hmm. you yeah. can only come to grips in, in enabling this sort of behavior by ignoring the Bible. The hmm. Bible is very plain, mm-hmm. and their way of ignoring it was to pass it over in, in view of a more enlightened, Christ-centered uh, view of mankind, which, you know, there's certain internal contradictions there, but they see Christ as sort of all love and all forgiving, and, yeah. and on we go. You know, these two things are true. We cannot restrict other people. We need to allow other people uh, the, the rights to do things that we find to believe and to do, things that we find objectionable. And uh, we need to accept, uh, I think, that the Bible is very plain on this. Mm-hmm. Even some theologians play games with it to try to explain it away. But anybody that reads in Leviticus, I think it is, and then Paul saying that man lying with man is an abomination, mm-hmm. 
So we have both the Old and New Testament here then. Absolutely. And Paul, part of the argument within uh, Christian community is that, uh, you know, the principle of love applies and that that Paul was only uh, speaking his, or the Bible writers were only speaking their their moral bias. Mm -hmm. It's illogical because Paul wrote his statements at a time in Greek and Roman culture when homosexuality was culturally acceptable. Yes. So if he was reflecting a cultural bias, it would be to accept it, not mm-hmm, reject mm-hmm, it. But he made mm-hmm, it very plain. Mm-hmm. Nobody that acts like that, he said, will inherit the kingdom. Mm-hmm. So we need to understand these two things. We should allow people to do certain things because we, God doesn't coerce. But as far as our moral position, it should be uh, absolutely cut and dried that, that this is immoral, contrary to God's ideal for man. So then how do you deal with it when it rears its head in society? Yeah. The thing that gets in the way of some people is they have this idea that this is a Christian nation structurally. And what they really mean by that is that it's sort of in a loose way, much like the model of the Middle Ages, where church and state are working together. Mm -hmm. And that you're trying to produce through governmental means a moral and, and religious society. But we're not. The whole American experiment was to deny that. It was to grant uh, the things that all men were created with, inalienable rights, the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We need to be true to that, and yet morally responsible toward our fellows who might make bad decisions. So I think when we see these states uh, certifying gay marriage and other uh, gay rights, we need to redouble our efforts to, to relate to them in a Christian way and, 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 and as appropriate, make it plain that this doesn't... Uh, agree with God's way, but, you know, you don't accomplish that by standing outside a military funeral and screaming the top of your voice about gays in the military, as one group did. You know, that's offensive. But there are other ways, like Jesus, who traveled around, as we're told, as one who sought men's good. And you can easily tell when you're talking with someone who means you well, wants the best for you. And I believe in that context, there's plenty of situations in society where Christians can make it abundantly plain that people in this lifestyle really could do better by themselves. This is not an ideal situation. The practical dynamic here that that we often write about in Liberty Magazine is that very often these newfound or newly uh, enumerated rights for gay activity, including gay marriage, are more and more being used to inhibit Christian witness, Christian mm-hmm. uh, activity, and even on occasion used aggressively to strike down Christian rights. Hmm. And I think we'll see more of, more of that. Now, I'm going to put you on the spot here, Lincoln. You're an ordained minister of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. You work at the General Conference headquarters. The offices of Liberty Magazine are in the same building as the General Conference headquarters of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. How does the church deal with it? How do you as a minister deal with it? If, if you're in your church and you have your flock there and um, a guy comes in and says, hi, my name is Sam and this is my partner, Jim, and we want to join your church family, we want to be involved here, and we want you to welcome us with open arms because you are Christian. After all, that's what it says out there on the sign, Seventh-day Adventist Church, Christian Church. How would you deal with it? Let's, let's, let's talk practical here. I'm going to put you on the spot. What would you do? <laughs> well, the reality is, I think, that the Adventist church is probably not much different from other churches nowadays. In, in effect, they have a don't ask, don't tell policy. <laughs> I'm true. not saying that's ideal. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, we're not in, in, in a, an inquisitorial model. Mm-hmm. So but you said that they would volunteer that. Yeah. 
And if and if that happened with me, you know, I, I wouldn't condemn them. But if you're studying with them for baptism, and 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 then uh, joining the Seventh Day Adventist Church, I think you have to make that plain that they're morally at odds with with what it takes to move into the community of believers. But where most people don't really make a distinction is that a Christian church, or indeed I hope any church, should be welcoming to fellow human beings. Mm -hmm. If they want to worship with them, fine. Mm -hmm. That's not quite the same as joining Mm -hmm. and, and, and having your name placed on the rolls as, therefore, in conformity with all the tenets of that church. So I would never drive such a couple away. I mean, if they want to worship with you, fine. But... I would hope that no minister would, uh, knowing open, you know, when they volunteer that, that that's mm-hmm. their their moral state, that that remains unchanged and they join the church because mm-hmm. it's antithetical, as we said before, to biblical belief. But it's become very uh, uh, charged. It's a very charged issue and, and it may soon become a legally charged issue. Mm-hmm. I believe we're very close to uh, maybe already legally to the point where a pastor, if he has a discussion with such a couple and, and they're not allowed to join because of that, might be subject to a suit. A suit on based on what? What what kind of suit would that be, Lincoln? I'm, I, this is very curious to me. What would they say is the grounds of that suit? Well, re- religious bias. You showed prejudice because of your religious viewpoint. But if you, they're asking for civil action on a religious bias, you can't do that. That's combining church and state, a civil action on a religious bias. That's true, and that might be why it's more likely at this moment in Canada. But w- w- hmm. there's a very strong likelihood in Canada that, that forget new members, that an existing member, or in particular, say a pastor, declares himself to be mm-hmm. uh, gay. Mm-hmm. And if the church acted against him, he would have a suit for a wrongful dismissal or, or wow. he could not be dismissed just because of this uh, lifestyle choice. And what further muddies it, obviously, is that within many Christian communities, and I think to some little degree even within the Adventist Church, there are some people arguing that they should be uh, incorporated, that, that yeah. you know we ignore the Bible text or they're not what they seem. Ellen White wrote, she was a woman taken to be a prophet by early Adventists, mm-hmm. and she wrote many things. And she said that as we come to a time of stress near, near the end of time, that very often the greatest enemies of the church would be those within. Ooh. And that certainly is how this gay marriage and gay rights thing will play out, because it's precisely when the church is shown to not be, from a governmental outside point of view, speaking with the one voice, that then you could be challenged. Well, how come you're dealing with this person, your own like another conference or yeah, another yeah. part of your structure is, yeah. is, is accepting them. Why, why, you know, you're just being prejudiced to act this way. <sighs> but, but there's no question that overall, to sort of generalize, while gay rights are regrettable in a civil sense, you know, whatever society uh, passes is legal, if not moral, certainly not moral in this case, but the society has the right to do that. But it's when those rights are turned against religious rights that it becomes a religious liberty issue. Okay. We're talking with Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine. We're discussing different topics uh, in the world today that are impacting our ability to love and obey God as our conscience dictates, as we say in the introduction to this program. The European Sunday Alliance, Lincoln, a network of 65 civil society organizations, trade unions, and churches, recently made a pitch for a work 
Free Sunday to the European Union's Economic and Social Committee in Brussels. Work-free Sunday. Good idea, bad idea? What's your take on this? This is Monday as we're recording this. And and on a certain level, I could wish for a work-free Sunday. My wife wife puts me to work in the garden. It's it's the hardest day. (laughs) I don't think I'm ever going to have a work-free Sunday. Uh, But no, this is serious business. And uh, I, I think this is uh, an example of a religious liberty concern of Seventh-day Adventists in particular mm-hmm. and Jews mm-hmm. being blindsided by a secular appeal that I think in some ways already came with a religious uh, subtext, but certainly can easily morph into a direct religious liberty issue mm-hmm. on the simplest level. Why not? Why not have a work-free Sunday? That's one of the... Uh, the big benefits of the whole union movement, of course, if, if you think back on the history of that, it used to be that people pretty much worked uh, something like 12, 14-hour days, yeah, seven days a week, days a week. until they dropped, which they did in alarming numbers. Mm-hmm. And, and so the union movement became stronger, plus social consciousness uh, recognized that people needed a little rest. And, and we, for quite some time in the Western world, had the weekend, mm-hmm. two days off, mm-hmm. five-day week. But that's not as entrenched in societies as people imagine. It's relatively recent. And I think a number of forces have conspired to bring about this move for the Sunday uh, Civil Rest Day. I'm going to give another lecture like a, pr- a previous program where we, we, it seemed like I was giving out uh, economic and, and uh and civil theory. <laughs> but if you think about it, and I read a lot of articles and hear a lot of hearings, in the Western world, we've premised our progress on growth in GNP every year. Mm-hmm. We, we presume it's always going to go up and up and up. But if you think about it, it can't. There's mm-hmm. got to be a point of stabilization, and that will be dangerous for the way we've structured our economy and our uh, manufacturing base. And uh, Uh, A number of thinkers have started uh, looking at this. And one way that Europe, I think, has chosen to deal with it is to cut the hours of the worker. In essence, cut their productivity so that more people can move in and and all be working. I think that's been developing and it's been sharpened by the economic collapse of 2008 because now they're trying to turn a a problem into a a virtue. Mm -hmm. We've got a lot of unemployed people. We've got overcapacity in the system, which we can't now utilize anymore. So what do you do? And so this move is coming forward to set aside, in this case Sunday, as a civil day of rest. And there's all sorts of arguments given in advance for it. Some of the strongest, ironically, have come from Pope Benedict's Mm. uh, document, Caritas et Veritatis, where he speaks there of something that's a truism, I think, I wouldn't challenge him, that there are higher values than, than just uh, uh, making an income and making money and, and, and you know, economic activity, that human values need to be reasserted. Mm-hmm. And that's true. Mm-hmm. Nowhere truer than in, than in the United States. Most Americans don't realize that on Western norms, the U.S. has the highest number of hours worked per week, the fewest hours of vacation. We're on a work treadmill yes, here. We are. And that's fine. You know, if, if, if people like it per se, but overall, it tends to diminish the, uh, you know, the real human values of home and hearth and hobbies and, and, and you know, mm-hmm. things that are generally thought to be personally fulfilling. So the, the appeal in Europe, where it is now, not come to the U.S., for this, this Sunday family rest day is pretty broad based. It's not just religious. It has a, a, an economic model. It has a... a 
a societal uh, concept that, that appeals to most people. Yes, man needs to recharge, have these higher values or, or more rewarding values rather than just money. And then the, the religions spearheaded now by the Roman Catholic Church, but the evidence is not clear that the Roman Catholic Church had anything to do with the uh, initiation of this concept. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They may have, but I don't see the clear evidence. But once it's underway, Benedict in particular is very forcefully arguing for it. And it, and it does connect, of course, with their theology, where the Roman Catholic Church has, has championed Sunday uh, sacredness. And, and you and I know uh, biblically that that's a dubious claim. <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, biblically, it's the seventh day Sabbath, and it's easy to prove historically that Sunday uh, derived from pagan uh, worship of the sun that the, 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 the Roman uh, Empire mm -hmm. upheld and then morphed into Christianity when it became the godfather of, of Christianity. And of course, yeah. Roman Catholic today is the inheritor of that. Now, the minister part of you is coming out. Let's make this yeah. clear to our listeners that there, <laughs> there, are, there are two days we're looking at, Saturday and Sunday. Again, reiterate for us why we need to differentiate those two and treat them differently. Well, from a biblical point of view, it's very plain. And the Roman Catholic Church has not recently challenged this. Pope Benedict, when he was uh, cardinal, uh, wrote a document uh, called Dies Domini, for Pope John Paul II, and he said, this was the Lord's Day, was the title of the Latin, and he said there, there is no biblical uh, instructions to change uh, the day of worship from Saturday to Sunday, mm -hmm. but the, the early church felt they had the authority. And Saturday was the day that the Lord set up during creation as the official yeah, holy day. Yeah, not a Jewish day. day. Okay. The Jews uh, were the yeah. custodians of it, yeah. but in Genesis it's very plain okay. that God after creating the world, designated the seventh day a memorial of his creation, mm -hmm. not a memorial of any Jewish uh, activity. And he made it holy, okay. And it says uh, all people throughout all time. And that was not challenged for millennia. Yeah. And the early Christian church uh, continued it. Even It was, wasn't that it died away with Judaism and the, the Christianity and Christ brought something new. Christ never changed it. Mm -hmm. and, but within a few hundred years, it started to get mixed up because... There was a, a certain memorial aspect to the, the Sunday resurrection of Christ. And then the fix was in when Rome, the Emperor Constantine, uh, formally adopted Christianity as the state religion. And uh, efforts began almost immediately to integrate Christianity into the pagan festival days and Sunday, mm -hmm. the day of the, the sun, sun. That's yes. right. <laughs> yes, yes. Was was a convenient memorial already in place, so it was applied to Christianity with the excuse they were remembering the resurrection of Christ, which is fine, a wonderful thing to remember. Yeah. But they shouldn't have forgotten the seventh day Sabbath either. So there might have been an argument for a Saturday Sunday religious holiday weekend. Like the Muslims, they have Friday prayers, but, yeah. you know, it's pretty much a weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday with the Muslims. And it makes a difference to God why? Why does it make a difference to God which day we keep? Well, it's the day that he formalized and, and said keep it as a memorial. Okay, in other words, we are honoring God with that day. I think it's like a lot of things that parents tell to children. You know, you say, do this. Well, if the child does something differently, it may not in itself be a bad thing they're doing, but they're showing rebellion That's by true. disregarding your word. Yeah. Yes, I, I think practically speaking, you can do the same things on Sunday as you would do on Saturday, but especially if you know that God intended it to be a Saturday and, and you say, well, no, I, I'm going to do it on my day. There's no logic that God would uh, think kindly of that. 
it does say in the Bible that days of man's ignorance he winks at. Mm-hmm. So if if you're keeping a, a Sunday uh, genuinely and not aware or convinced that, that, that it was changed inappropriately, I don't think God condemns you. No. But he doesn't. There's no logic that God will say, fine, you say you have the authority. Well, you're keeping my day, which memorializes my authority, but we'll be fine. That's that's kosher. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think yeah, so. Yeah. Uh, so that's the position that the Jews have maintained, of course, and, and Seventh-day Adventists and Seventh-day Baptists and a few others through through history. It's never been totally forgotten, but particularly since the Roman Church uh, moved in with the imperial authority, Sunday had usurped the correct Seventh-day Sabbath. All right. Well, it's good to know when we see the Sabbath come along, the Saturday, the Seventh-day Sabbath, that this is something that God wants us to do, and we do it because we love God, and that's kind of nice. I mean, he likes to be worshipped and rejoiced any day of the week, Monday or Thursday or Sunday, doesn't matter. He loves that. Absolutely. But there was only one day where he said, remember me. Absolutely. But, you know, back to this this family rest day. It doesn't purport to be a religious day at all, although it's very telling that some church authorities have made it very plain that this day can then profitably be turned to worship. Yeah. And uh, my alarm bells, internal alarm bells rang recently in, in North Dakota. They passed a, uh, a family rest day, hmm. sort of a, the latest version of a blue law there. Yeah, yeah. And the uh, local uh, representative of the Catholic Alliance, I forget for want of a better title, wrote a, a newspaper editorial where he used the exact same terminology that was in the Caritas et Veritatis document and the same terminology used on the Sunday rest day and then said this should be devoted to uh, worship activities. Mm. So, in fact, on one level, you'd think the churches, and in particular the Catholic Church, would be negligent not to take full advantage (laughs) of such a proposal as they appear to be doing. And our uh, worry, it's not really a fear, but our worry is that this is an early warning sign of a broad-based push to legislate Sunday worship. And Sunday worship is fine from a religious liberty point of view. If somebody chooses to worship Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or Sabbath, the correct day, from my perspective, all should be approved if there's real religious liberty. But we don't want the state to uh, make a decision and then start enforcing a particular form of religious observance. talking with Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine. We have time for one more topic here, and it should be high on the list of anyone who is watching this. Marijuana. Marijuana has been approved. (laughs) Hey, that's not a pun, is it? (laughs) No, 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 not at all. (laughs) Marijuana has been approved, where is it, in in Colorado and uh, someplace else, for recreational use. Now, okay. What other uses? Yeah, right. So is there any kind of religious freedom issue in this at all? I mean, some people are, are crying out, you know, wow, look what's going on here. Is there anything we should be concerned about on the religious liberty front? Well, I didn't know you were going to uh, suggest this was a religious liberty thing. I don't know of one, but it, it is interesting. That one of the most seminal uh, religious liberty cases concerned the smoking of peyote hmm. uh, some years ago that was part of the uh, the sweat lodge uh, 
ceremonies of Indian religion. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure not all Indian tribes have the same religious viewpoints, right. but so I don't remember what tribe. But it, it was a major uh, religious uh, ceremony. You know, some bad things flowed from looking at that as drug use rather than yes. religious activity. Yes. I don't know of anything like that with marijuana, but I just throw that in because it's not always quite as cut and dried. Mm-hmm. But just from a point of a dangerous substance, you can make a good argument that this should not be legal, as it has been for a long time. But I used to also edit a, uh, a drug education journal for teens, and I'm not pro-legalizing marijuana, but it's worth remembering. There's not much argument that marijuana, say, is worse than alcohol or tobacco. Mm-hmm. And, and society has chosen for uh, probably not very good reasons to legalize those other drugs. Yeah. And In fact, just a couple of days ago, I was talking to a neighbor over the fence about his father just passing away. He was in his mid-70s, and I said, oh, and he said, well, it's young. Young is a relative thing. <laughs> That's not really young. Yes. But, of course, as a son, he felt that it was young because he said, my dad passed away, you know, a bit young. I said, was he a smoker? Oh, yes, he said. He smoked. Never could give it up. And he said that he had lung cancer many years earlier and he smoked even in the hospital oh. after he had a lung taken out. And he said and then he got throat cancer. He said they cut away part of his throat and were even thinking about cutting his lower jaw off because the chemotherapy had given him bone cancer. But he said he smoked right till the last. And so I told him, I said, the facts have been discovered over and over again that of all the drugs, heroin, you know, methamphetamine, you name it, marijuana, uh, nicotine is the hardest addiction to, mm. to uh, kick. So I might need to make a plane. I'm not pro-marijuana, but, you know, when you talk, when, what, in fact, what do they say in a, when you go to have a drink? Name your poison. Name your poison, exactly. <laughs> uh, I think some people, people get too culturally uh, agitated about marijuana when they forget all these other, well, not all, but these several other drugs yes. that society winks at. I would be more comforted if our society looked at the true dangers and then cold rationale dealt with them. But at the moment, it's emotional and it's, and it's generational. I think the reason these things are being legalized is, is your generation, my generation, that, that we're freely imbibing of <laughs> yes. marijuana have reached an age where they can now vote that it in. Now, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so you know, I, I don't see it as a great move for society. I think it'll bring some bad things in its train, but it's not. The worst thing, and the worst thing, clearly, is alcohol. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as far as behavior, broken families, uh, all sorts of diseases that flow from it. The worst thing, from a uh, health perspective, is tobacco. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the the lung cancer issues are phenomenal, as well as uh, heart disease and all the rest that flow from alcohol. There are some things from marijuana, and I think a good PR campaign that could uh, emphasize the feminization of male marijuana users mm. would probably be very successful if it was played to the I call it a religious <laughs> issue when I realize what it does to the mind, alcohol and tobacco well, and all these things. It, it shuts off God's communication avenue to you. Well, yes, you and I can say that. Yes. Of course, marijuana users famously was shown during the, the 60s and 70s became more spiritual, yeah. but I always thought that it was because they had less ability to comprehend spiritual things, <laughs> so even the most minor issue of spirituality was mind-numbingly complicated to them. <laughs> 
think you're right. I think you're right. Well, we could go on and on about this. Our time has flown by. Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine, thank you Always so much pleasure. for being here. We appreciate that. And listener, until next time, this is Charles Mills, along with Lincoln Steed, inviting you to rest in the freedom of God's love. Goodbye, everyone. You've been listening to LifeQuest Liberty. To further explore the issues discussed on today's program, visit www.LibertyMagazine.org. Join us again next week at this same time as we examine more of the threats and challenges facing your religious freedom. May God keep the flames of religious freedom burning in your heart today. <laughs>